(laughs) Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Peace with God through faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Pride. What springs to mind? As Carl Truman poses in his book, what do we make of the statement, I am a woman trapped in a man's body? That's not something I'm saying about myself this morning, just to make that clear. And we're not being homophobic or transphobic this morning. We're considering one of the big questions of our culture, of Western culture, of global culture, and that is identity. What defines us? Who are we truly? Now, we're beginning a new series today in Romans chapters 5 to 8, and I've entitled it Christian Identity because we live in a culture that is increasingly pushing an agenda based on the idea that our identity comes from within us. Maybe we encounter this just at a popular level. Uh, Those of us who um, enjoy Taylor Swift, and I'm not being pejorative about that, but those of us who are Swifties... Uh, may be aware of some of the things that she sings. I think she's quite popular. I think quite a few people sort of are into her, yeah. Um, uh, Apparently, uh, uh, the Gospel Coalition uh, did a a piece on her, uh, because I don't really know very much about Taylor Swift. But in her song, Out of the Woods, she says this. She lost him, but found herself, and somehow that was everything. Finding yourself is everything. Is that true? Do we define ourselves by ourselves? We're told increasingly in our culture that we're not to depend on others for our identity. We look within to find our deepest thoughts and attitudes and desires, and that is what defines us. It's an increasingly aggressive assertion, isn't it? Be it at school, those of us who are involved at school, or university, those of us who are involved at university. It cannot be questioned, for it is a new revolution 
that cannot be opposed or discussed. For those of us who are into philosophy and understanding how our culture has got here, we might have read books uh, like this one, which I highly recommend, Carl Truman's book that I quoted from, uh, The Making of a Modern Self. We may be aware of Rousseau and Marx and Nietzsche and Reich and Firestone and Butler and the teaching of queer theory and post-structuralism. Maybe we're not aware of those things. But we will be aware in our popular culture of being bombarded about what makes us us, of being true to ourselves, of love being love, of being authentic. And whilst many people are not aware of the paucity of actual thinking that underlies identity politics, we'll all be aware of the conflict it brings into our culture, won't we? The fallout between J.K. Rowling as a trans-exclusionary radical feminist and the cast of Harry Potter, who bite the hand that has fed them, labelling her a transphobe. How do we respond without fear? How do we respond and navigate the years ahead in our workplace, in our academic research, in our families, in our nation, in the whole of Western culture? Now, this is not the time or the place to be teaching about those issues from a biblical perspective. If you want to know... Um, do uh, I refer you to chapters 1 to 4 of Romans that we did at the beginning of our time at the pub. What I think uh, we have here in Romans chapters 5 to 8 is a deeper, richer, and above all, true way to think about ourselves as Christians. And if we're just investigating Christian things, or Christian things are very new to us, what these chapters show us is the deep difference it makes to our identity to be a Christian, to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not just a lifestyle choice. It's not just our preference. We are actually trusting in some person outside ourselves who is everything. Everything. Because everything is not found in understanding ourselves, but in understanding and trusting in this one person, Jesus Christ, for whom all things have been made, who sustains all things by his powerful word, who will return and for whom all things will be gathered together under his authority. If we're Christians here this morning, we need to grapple with another way of our identifying ourselves than the one we are pummeled with in our culture in which we will just sort of breathe in like a fish well it doesn't breathe in water does it, it swims in water it's there, it will, it will be part of, it will be in us, it will be seeping into our understanding of who we are I mean how many of us as Christians have said I don't feel like I'm a Christian anybody ever thought that? well if you don't feel like you're a Christian then how can you be a Christian? That's to put feelings at the center of our identity. Whereas Paul is writing to the Roman church and he's saying that our identity as Christians is based on something far deeper and richer and more certain 
And this is where we start looking at the passage. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we, Paul includes himself in the Roman church as Christians, since we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we. It's very easy to miss that two-letter word, which Paul includes himself in. He includes all Christians. We. 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 Our Christian identity is something we have. It would be easy for me to go through this passage and I was just to think it's just about our own understanding and, and what I understand and what I think about in the privacy of my own home and, and what's going on in my heart. But no, Paul is saying this is an identity that is corporate, that is together, that we can talk about, that we can encourage one another in. It's not just individual, although it must be individual. It is a community thing. It's not something that individuals consume. You know, church for many people can just be something we consume. Oh, I like this church, I like that church. Oh, I don't get what I need from that church. I don't... No. That's making Christianity something capitalistic. Something that is a commodity that can be marketed, that you can consume and you can judge. No, Christianity is not like that. It's not for individuals. It's for the we, the together. Paul will only get there in Romans 12, where he says, let love be genuine. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And that community emotional life comes out of the identity of chapter 5. We could say that chapters 1 to 4 in Romans are how we're made right with God, justification by faith alone. And these chapters are, if we are justified, five to eight chapters, if we are justified, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we are together in him. We, all Christians, are together in Christ. We are united to Christ. Three points this morning. Faith in Jesus Christ brings glorying in past justification. Faith in Jesus Christ brings glorying in past justification. That's verses 1 and 2. Secondly, faith in Jesus Christ brings glorying in the fruit of suffering. And then faith in Jesus Christ thirdly brings glorying in God. Now, I know glorying is a bit cumbersome. It's a bit sort of clunky, isn't it? I'll explain why I've chosen that word rather than how it's translated in the NIV as uh, boasting and in the ESV uh, rejoicing. But this is foundational. Verses 1 and 2, faith in Jesus Christ brings glorying in past justification is foundational to your and my identity if we're Christians here this morning. If there's two verses to memorize and pour over this year, these would be they, I think. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we looked at at New Year, the tenses are important. Therefore, chapters 1 to 4, Paul has outlined, hasn't he, how we're all under the, the wrath of God. No one will be declared righteous before God on judgment day by the good things they try and do. Chapter 3, verse 20. 
And therefore, there's, there's another way. But now, a righteousness from God has been revealed that the law and the prophets testify to. And this righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ. It's only by trusting in Jesus Christ that we're declared right before God, that we're justified. And chapter 4 is, well, that's how Abraham was justified, and that's how David was justified. That's how anybody's ever been justified in the Old Testament, by faith in what God's promised. And it's independent of our feelings. Justification is not based on what we feel. It's based on what Jesus Christ has done and whether we've received that gift and trusted in him. We can't have missed this week, can we, the uh, scandal of the post office submaster thing, the horizon thing. And, and I don't know if you've watched the TV series about the sub... Uh, poster, you know, the submaster scandal and, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Banks. Was it Tony? Sorry? Uh, uh, the guy who basically spearheaded um, taking on the post office. 20 years in the waiting. Uh, and there's scenes in the TV um, series where you know, people are taken into court. And there's one particular moving scene where all the sort of supporters of this lady uh, join in. There's about 70 of them in uh, the courtroom. And yet, she's justified. She's declared innocent, free to go. It's not a feelings kind of thing. How did she feel then? I don't, I don't know. Maybe confused, bemused, not quite sure what's going on here. The court of law said you're free to go. Not guilty, innocent. If you or I have trusted in Jesus Christ, we have been declared by God in his court of law innocent, not guilty. Why? Because another has taken the punishment we deserve. And another has given his perfect righteousness to us. So God now sees us as he sees his only son, Jesus Christ. He sees us, he treats us as righteous. Because those who have faith in Jesus are righteous. The righteous will live by faith. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we are righteous in God's sight. And that's a one-zero kind of thing. If we trusted in Jesus, if we've received the gift that God offers... We have been justified, past tense. Now, if you're not sure about that, it's worth making sure that you're sure you've trusted in Jesus Christ for yourself. So if you're not sure that you have done that, do talk to me afterwards. I can help you, point you in the right direction. But this means that God is no longer against us. He is for us. As we saw through him, that's through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith, by trusting in Jesus, into this grace Grace, we are now under the favor of God in which we stand, present tense. We're now in a relationship with God in which he is kind and generous continually to us, eternally into the future towards us because of what Jesus has done for us. And so what's the result? We rejoice in the hope or rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, why am I using glorying rather than rejoicing or boasting? Well, the ESV translates a little bit of Greek. Sorry about that, but I think it's important. Translates the Greek word 
kaxeomai, rejoice, NIV, boast. It's difficult to translate this because the key thing about this word is it's directed outside of the person. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But when we talk about rejoicing, we think as Westerners in our culture, oh, sort of inner feeling kind of thing. No, glorying in what is to where we're headed. It's outside of us. It's not our feelings, although it does link with our feelings because God's love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. But it's an outside. It's a sort of boasting outside. But the boasting as well is a kind of, well, that's something you can do internally, isn't it? You can sort of boast inside about how great you are at X, Y, and Z. But no, this is a boasting outside of us. So I think glorying helps us, whilst it may not be the best translation, helps us think, I'm enjoying something outside of me that is never going to change. I'm boasting in something outside of me that is never going to change. There will never be a moment that I can't be rejoicing in this or boasting in this because it's it's an objective fact that God has said about me. He said that I am innocent, that I am not guilty, that I am going to glory. I don't know if you're already, I mean, it's only the first week of term, isn't it? Or, or for some of us, it hasn't even started. If you're already anticipating the holidays, you're already thinking, oh, when's the next holiday? It helps us get through the dark drudgery of January and February because, well, holiday, half term's coming or some sun in the summer. How much more does our anticipation of heavenly glory keep us going now if we know we're going to be there? And if we're to respond rightly, with compassion to those who suffer from gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction or all the other identities that are, are, are flooding our consciousness, if we're to respond with confidence to the identity politics of our culture, we've got to have a clear Christian identity, which is far more secure. As we faced pastoral difficulties in the workplace challenges Going against the flow at school or at university, we need to have boasting, rejoicing, glorying in something better. How? Well, if it's a we kind of thing, we need to talk about it. We need to learn how to talk about it. I mean, how much in our conversation do we say, I know this sounds a bit cheesy, but, you know... We, we, you can come up with better applications. I, I'm so looking forward to seeing Jesus. Because I know that that's certain. I, I'm, I can't wait. To, can you not wait to be without sin? Won't it be wonderful one day to be sinless? If we have been justified, we will be sinless. Won't it be amazing to live in a world where there is no more death? Or sin or <laughs> spoiling of relationships which always keep going wrong because we're sinful beings. Won't it be wonderful to be in a world where every relationship we have with God and with each other is constantly satisfying and filled with joy? We rejoice, we boast, we glory in the hope of the glory of God because we are justified we will be there. Faith in Jesus Christ brings glorying in past justification. Secondly, faith in Jesus Christ brings glorying in the fruit of suffering. If that wasn't good enough, this, it gets even better. 
I mean, how confident would we be in our lives if we knew that every ounce of suffering was achieving something? That there's no such thing as meaningless, pointless suffering. I was splitting logs yesterday with a friend of mine, and you know that I've ripped my cartilage. And, um, yeah, I, I know people are encouraging me probably to look after things. Maybe that was not a wise thing to be doing. But anyway, I was splitting logs, and uh, the axe was, yeah, it's great, loving it. And then I, I just uh, had a momentary lapse of concentration, hit the log in such a way that it, it sort of, one half went that way, another half went into my knee, just where I have... Uh, ripped my cartilage, and I was thinking, oh no, why did, that How, why did it have to be there? I mean, the bruise, we could, could have hit me somewhere else. Uh, I remembered what I was preaching on today. No, John, that, God is in control. He, he knows what he's doing with every second of our lives. And Paul is trying to encourage the Roman church that all suffering, all suffering is achieving something, down to the smallest details. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we had the strength of identity that whatever suffering we face is achieving something for our good and glory in the long run? If you've visited Rome, and I'd love to visit Rome at some point, you've probably gone to the Colosseum. And there at the cross in the Colosseum marks where hundreds of Christians went joyfully, joyfully, to their deaths. Men, women, children, whole families eaten by lions. Such strength changed the world. This is what Paul wants his hearers, who obviously heard what he had to teach them and put it into practice. Verse 3, more than that, or not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Paul's not saying we rejoice in suffering itself, the evil that causes suffering, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We know God loves us if we're justified because not only have we got that objective demonstration of righteousness in Jesus' death and resurrection in our place, we have this subjective experience of the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts so that when we suffer, we know that God is achieving something in it because we have been justified and we're going to glory when all the suffering in between is just part of the process of being conformed to the image of his son, made like Jesus. Let's just slow down and look at the argument. We'll start at the end of the argument. He finishes with the Holy Spirit having been given to us. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have been given the Holy Spirit because you have been justified. Same tense. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we experience something of God's love being poured into our hearts. And when we need that, we call on the Holy Spirit, don't we? Lord, assure me of your love afresh. Fill my heart afresh with the love that I know you have for me because of what Jesus has done on the cross in my heart. 
it's an experiential thing. But it's not just an internal thing, is it? It's, not just, it's a feeling that's related to the objective truth of my and your justification. And even when we're suffering, we can be praying for, talking with each other, that whatever we're going through, it's producing character in us. And it's a forward-leaning character. The Christian character is looking forward to glory. It's thinking, I will be with Jesus one day. Lord, make me like him. You might have to chip bits off me. It might be painful for me to be honed and fashioned into the image of your son. But I'm happy with that. Because I will see Jesus and I want to be like Jesus. And I know that everything you will do, every second of Every day of my life since my justification is to that end because you have promised. Wouldn't it be great if we all could talk about this kind of Christian identity? It's a win-win situation. When life is great, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus. When life is rubbish and we're suffering, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, just on a personal note, not all Christians think like this. And I didn't think like this. Until more recently, uh, when I, as you know, lost my career leaving a particular church post and we lost our home and status and family stability, the family just went, you know, nuclear. Several people said to us, you've been faithful to God for taking that stand. He will bless you. By which they meant health, wealth, a successful new church. And there's lots to give thanks for. Don't, I'm, not, I'm not dissing what we're doing here. But whilst there have been many blessings, it's a cruel and untrue thing to say, isn't it? That obedience to Christ, faithfulness to Christ, means blessing in this world because that's not what Scripture teaches. That God loves us is secure in something far more reliable than how our lives go. It's secure in Him. I mean, do you think the same person, people who said that to Mim and myself, could say that to the Christians as they went into the Colosseum? Oh, you've been faithful to God. He's, he's going to bless you. Really? Being eaten by wild beasts or fodder for gladiatorial combat? No, you've been faithful to God. He will use all your suffering for your glory in the world to come. You are united to Jesus Christ. You have the hope of glory. There is a kind of evangelical prosperity gospel that if you obey God, you'll be blessed now. Your church will grow. Your family will be Christian. You will enjoy psychological peace. No. Paul says none of that. He links joy, boasting, glorying to what has already happened to us. Nothing can touch it. So we can go into suffering and death knowing that we have an indestructible love from God that will not be changed or ruined by our own sin. We can glory in indestructible love because that is the kind of love God shows. You know, the Old Testament will put it this way. He keeps every tear in his bottle. Now, how do we do this together? Well, we are to point each other to the reality that God is working something in us that is eternal and in which we will all glory 
whatever we are going through, whatever we are suffering. One of the things that we will be doing over the spring as we go through Romans chapters 5 to 8 is starting to be a bit more honest about some of the things that we may be going through. Because if churches are the kind of churches where actually what we're suffering and what is just a bit shameful and some of the things we're struggling through, well, we just need to keep them a little bit in the dark because we're all fine. No, if this is a love that transforms us even in all the things we're suffering, we can talk about it. We can rejoice in what God is doing through the suffering that we are all going through in different shapes. It might be eating disorders. It might be addictions that we battle with. It may be relational dysfunction, depression, mental illness, chronic health issues, loneliness. The list goes on and on and on. And if we have a secure Christian identity, we can talk about all these things because we are together loved by God in our mess. See, Paul is talking about all suffering here. It's not just the suffering of persecution. He's talking about all suffering. And the the great positive of Christian identity is that whatever we go through, we have an ironclad identity that we are loved. Loved by God. We can laugh in the face of calamity, in the face of being crucified in the Colosseum. We have a diamond identity rather than a snowflake identity. We have an identity that is not affected by what people say about us. That will change the world. If we can only live more like this, it will change the world as the second and third century church in Rome changed the whole of Rome. Faith in Jesus Christ brings glorying in the fruit of suffering. And then finally, faith in Jesus Christ brings glorying in God. See, Paul seems to anticipate the doubt of God's love when we suffer. I know that many of us are going through really tough things. And one of the things that we tend to, I do, you know, that I've got a a chronic illness, and when it gets bad, I tend to think, well, does God love me? It's just a kind of normal human reaction when we go through tough things. But how can we really know that when we suffer, God still loves us? Because it feels like it doesn't, doesn't it? Well, when we suffer, all kinds of sin can come to the fore. I mean, maybe it's just me. But when we're in pain, whether it's physical or psychological or spiritual, are you a little less patient? Do you get a little bit ratty? Do you get a short fuse? And then the guilt means that we might self-medicate with any number of things. And when we're depressed, we become self-obsessed and we find it difficult to serve others. The great enemy of glorying in our justification and in our suffering is guilt. Is guilt. So what does Paul say about that? Well, he just sort of asked the question, when, when, when was it that God loved you? When was it that he brought you to faith in his son, Jesus Christ? When was it that he poured out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit? When was it? 
Verse 6, when we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God loves people who are not seeking him, who are not godly, who are not strong enough to even seek him. It's not like human love, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When, when did Christ die for you? For me? Was it when you were seeking him, living a godly life and a life of goodness? No, because we know that nobody lives that life from chapters 1 and 2. Christ died for you. God showed his love for you when you were weak, ungodly, unrighteous, his enemy. Since therefore you have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of... If he loved us then, if he justified us then, well, how much more is he going to keep going in his love for us all the way through all that we face in life and get us to glory? The argument is from greater to lesser. If someone has climbed Mount Everest, I guess climbing you know, Colchester Castle Hill is probably pretty certain. If someone has run a marathon, then a one-mile jog is, is definite. If God has loved us when we hated him, when we didn't want to live a life for him, when we had no power to live a life for him, how much more will he love us when we have the Holy Spirit. See, if God has loved us when we were sinners, when we were ungodly, when we were his enemies, saving us from his wrath on judgment day, well then salvation on that day is certain. His love for us between the moment we trust in Christ and the moment we meet Christ will not fail, will it? When, when a person is born, slightly different image here to the one in the text, born into a family, it's unchangeable, isn't it? You can't avoid the relationships that you enter into in your family because you were born into that family. When we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we are born into the family of God. That cannot be changed. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we're united to Jesus Christ. That cannot be changed. If God has loved you and me, when we were at our most unlovable, is he not going to carry on loving you? When we had no faith in Christ, when God, we were God's enemy and God was our enemy, then it was then that he reconciled us. How much more will he not reconcile us now that we're saved? Verse 10, for if we are... For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We're at peace. And so we rejoice in God. We glory in God because of his great love for us. You know, our Christian identity is not like the superstition of pulling petals off a flower, is it? He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Oh, dear. It's not like being on a wobble board, trying to balance on something that's sort of unstable and secure, and we, oh, we tip. Oh, dear, blown it. It's rock solid. It cannot be undone. I need, I need to say this probably to myself and to all of us here. 
the motivation of living the Christian life is not that we can undo it. I'll just say that again. The motivation for the Christian, living the Christian life is not that we can undo it somehow. Paul teaches that our justification, faith in Jesus Christ, leads to union with Christ. We have been joined to Jesus Christ. That's what the rest of chapters 5 to 8 are about. How do, we, how do we speak about this as I close? We need to tell each other, as Christians, we need to talk about this as Christians, that we are united with Jesus Christ. We, we are in him. It's the most common way Paul has of defining what a Christian is. Someone who is in Christ. Joined to Jesus Christ. Married to Jesus Christ. It means that all our suffering is meaningful. It meaning, means that our, our entry into heaven is assured by Jesus Christ. It means that we are living now in obedience to Christ for the rewards of heaven. Jesus talked a lot about rewards, didn't he? Which assumes... A, that we will be there to receive the reward, the reward, and B, that God knows even the slightest cost to us of following Jesus, like giving someone a glass of water, will certainly not lose his reward. Do, do we think like that? Do we encourage each other like that? Oh, it's great that you did that thing for church. Jesus will reward you in heaven. Oh, you've been serving in the kids' work or in the music or leading or you've, you've, you've put out all the cups again. Oh, you, you'll receive a reward in heaven when you see Jesus. Do you, do you see the, the way of talking is certain? It's saying we will be there. There's motivation in serving Jesus now. Our identity is secure. See, being a Christian is so good. It gives us an identity that is indestructible and certain and outside ourselves, not based on our feelings. It's based on the love of God that is such a love that loves us when we're horrible. So that we can love each other when we're horrible. Well, let's glory in that, shall we? Let's boast in that. Let's rejoice in that. Because that really is everything, isn't it? Not just finding myself. What we've just been taught, isn't that everything? If we could have that identity, there'd be no stopping us. Let's just pray. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much for the identity that you have inspired the Apostle Paul to teach the Roman church. Lord, we thank you that he lived by it, that he suffered with joy that he rejoiced and boasted and gloried in what Jesus Christ had done on the cross. And despite his sin and all the things that he was battling with, he knew he would receive the crown of glory upon his death. Lord, we thank you so much for this teaching that is so vital and central in our day and in our culture. Please help us each to understand more clearly who we are in Jesus Christ. Amen.